Hi everybody, my name is Greg Hancock, and along with your other weird but well-meaning uncle, Patrick Curran, we make up Quantitude. We're a podcast dedicated to all things quantitative, ranging from the relevant to the highly irrelevant. In today's episode, we offer completely unsolicited career advice as you identify and apply for positions following your doctoral training, including your personal statements, CV, and letters of recommendation. Along the way, we also mention World War II quiz shows, eHarmony and Tinder, The Long Con, Mortgaging Retirements, Morning Research Inspirations, The Third and Fourth Ribs, Promptness, and Academia as Community Dinner Theater. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. So I have a nice habit where I cook dinner, Mm -hmm. I set the table, I put everything out, but the quid pro quo is when dinner is over, I stand up, I make a cup of decaf coffee and go out on the back deck and read. And the girls do all the cleaning. Mm -hmm. And so last night I was sitting out on the back deck and my daughter Annie came out. She had her phone. She said, Dad, do you got a minute? I said, yeah. And she said, come here. She is addicted to the comedian John Mulaney. Mm -hmm. And she said, I've got a clip. (laughs) Your boys like John Mulaney as well, right? Oh my gosh, he is great. Yeah. She said, this will only take a minute. And he's got this stand-up gag and he said, so who here has fathers that are retired and over 60? And everybody claps and he says, so the main thing of anyone who's retired and over 60 is they want to be left alone. And the reason they want to be left alone is for some inexplicable reason, they are preparing for an upcoming quiz on World War II. They want to be alone. Dads want to be alone. All of our dads are cramming for some World War II quiz show. And I can't wait to watch it. We're just going to change channels and see our dads winning $900,000 on Normandy trivia. And It's true. My, it's so true. My daughter stopped it. And she said, so dad, what are you reading? And I very sheepishly <laughs> held up my Kindle, and it was volume two of the biography of Winston Churchill, 1932 to 1939. And all she did was say, huh. And she stood up and walked back into the house. My main thought was, one, my girls have my number for sure. Mm-hmm. And two, thank goodness I have a job where I can sit on the back deck and prepare for some future quiz on World War II. At my dad's house, if you go through his library, everything, everything is about World War II. I don't know what your excuse is. I am at a point in my life that I don't need an excuse. Yeah, that's why I am really, really alone right now. It did strike me as I'm glad that I have a job right now. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's never a good time to go into academia, but this one is a double poke in the eye. Yeah, I don't know how we got a job. I mean, I can't speak for you. Um, (laughs) No, that is not the first time I have heard that. Oh my gosh, what is your dad's phrase? Your dad had a phrase about... Oh, they keep moving the goalposts. Exactly. Exactly. This is the time of year where people are starting to think about this, right? It's sort of the end of September, beginning of October. In fact, things have already been posted for jobs that are coming out. I think they're a little bit slow to come out in some ways because people aren't sure about budgets. But the places that do have budgets assigned to positions in our field, they're starting to trickle out. And I think there's going to be a feeding frenzy on this. Even pre-pandemic for years, I've been frustrated because there's been a nuclear arms race of who can move more quickly. Mm -hmm, True. Oh my gosh, is again, even pre-pandemic, it's turned into the smashing grab of how quickly can you move. When I talk to my students where there's a closing date of November 1st, as I Mm -hmm. say, be prepared at least to do a visit within a couple of weeks weeks after closing dates. And I have to admit is part of it makes me very frustrated because I think some places, not everybody, but some places prey on the anxieties of people who are applying. They move very, very quickly, make Mm -hmm. an offer by December, Mm -hmm. and then give people two weeks to decide. Mm -hmm. And then you have to play that game of, well, maybe this isn't an ideal place. Maybe it's not where I wanted to be. Maybe it's not geographically what I had hoped for. But do I say no Mm -hmm. to an offer 
when I don't have any other backup in hand. And that frustrates me because I've seen firsthand where some departments have intentionally preyed upon the anxieties of applicants, and that annoys me. So I will ascribe maybe a more positive or at least less negative motivation on the part of departments because I have been in the position of chairing searches, organizing searches that are on that kind of timeline. The reason our timeline is aggressive is twofold. One is we certainly want to get good people, but the other is that our university hits this weird administrative black hole from about mid-December until late January because we have this winter mester where there are these abbreviated classes. That's not classes. a real word. No. <laughs> It's a portmanteau, Patrick. Oh, Tomanus! <laughs> it's a Tomanus. But nothing gets done administratively there. Because people are not on campus, you're not going to bring people in for interviews. So you either get it done by early December or don't even think about getting it done until February. I think of us as being less predatory and more practical, but... From the point of view of the applicant, you are right. It's two-minute warning, man. Get your stuff together because it's going to start. I don't think there's a search committee or department chair out there that intentionally does that predatory kind of thing. I was yeah. talking about through the eyes of the applicant yeah. because I've chaired search committees and I've wanted the best person quickly. We don't have some made-up winter mester anus. <laughs> I'm a market off the yellow sticky and move on to the next thing kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And it falls into, you're the person we want. Let's lock this up and I can move on to the next thing. I don't think people are motivated by predatory sense of trying to prey on people's anxieties. But I think that's still often how it comes out. Yeah. And so whether there's a real predatory motivation or not is kind of inconsequential, where it's a one-item personality test, right? The old thing of you can buy an airline ticket for $500 today and I guarantee you a seat. You can buy one tomorrow for $250, but there's a 40% chance it'll be sold out. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I always buy the $500 ticket just because that's how I'm hardwired. For the rest of the family, I do the $250 for the next that's right. day. Sorry, Christy. Sorry. You're small. They won't find you in the bathroom. There are like eight bathrooms on this plane. You'll be fine. So as people who are on the other side of this in every sense, we went through all of this in a different point in time, but we still see this process. We see this process in the people that you and I are preparing for the job market. And so maybe what we should do is we should think about being Uncle Patrick and being Uncle Greg. And what kinds of things do we tell the people who are going out into the job market? And how do we prepare them for that? I have two nieces, my brother's daughters, and I was visiting in Denver and I was playing a game with one of them. She was about five and they have a big back deck with two screen doors. And I was on the inside and she was on the outside. And for like half an hour, all I did was run from one screen door to the other screen door and she would gale with laughter and go back and forth. And it was absolute great fun. I got exhausted and I had to tap out. And I was like, bro, you need to do this for a while. I got to sit down. And so my brother went over. My niece, her name is Maggie, mm -hmm. put her hands on her hips. And she said, not you, daddy. I want to play with the guy in the yellow shirt. <laughs> So, yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> I will be the guy in the yellow shirt. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's just kind of shoot the shit about how do you go about identifying a job? What is your motivation for applying for a particular job? And how do you get your materials together in a way that increases the probability that somebody wants to continue a discussion with you? It reminds me of something that I came across this morning. It's from a website called We're Not Really Strangers. I came across this list that's called Honest Dating Advice. Okay, should I probe here? <laughs> no. A couple of episodes <laughs> you're buying pregnancy tests in bulk and now... You're looking at dating advice. One, I'm really glad Goldie doesn't listen to the podcast. And two, uh -huh. <laughs> I'd like to see where you're going with this. Yeah, I mean, there's a very good reason why I came across this. It... <laughs> so it makes total sense. Was this clickbait from when you were on blueheredfoxes.com? <laughs> Is there such a thing? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, and yeah. I'm going to mark <laughs> here, let's see, 18 minutes and 12 seconds will get cut. All right, go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there's this thing. <laughs> this will get cut too. But there's this thing where uh, this community sent a note out to the entire school system that said something like that there's a cougar alert, please be safe. And some kid typed back to the whole school system, that's just my mom. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. I was looking at this honest dating advice thing just because it's fun to see. And it really is reminiscent of, in many ways, applying for a job. The idea that you are trying to make a decision about a relationship. I don't know if it's like eHarmony or Tinder or any of these other things, but the idea is that you're... <laughs> you, you're putting eHarmony and Tinder <laughs> and Tinder on the same... <laughs> but there are some themes in here that I thought really apply to, to the job. So I was looking at one, and the very first one was, worry less about if they like you and more about if you even like them. Discuss. So my advice, drawing from my many, many years of dating before I met my wife... Uh I never got past, will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? I really have very little to add to this conversation. Yeah, sure, we can go with that. The first point is just whether or not you're seeing something that you like. Let's imagine that there's this host of choices out there. You have to decide, first of all, are you going to apply to 86 different places, right? Like you going down the line, will you go on a date with me? Will you go on a date with me? Or are you going to be a bit more selective? I think that's already tricky right out of the gate. What's so hard about it is the entire process is already so complicated, and now we're wrapping a patina of the pandemic around it and all the weirdness associated with that. Before you even start looking online or looking at the APA listing or Chronicle of Higher Education, Mm -hmm. go out on your back deck, put down your World War II book, (laughs) and think about what do you want? I don't think people give as much due diligence to the motivation for getting a job that maybe would help further down the road. From an ideal standpoint, what kind of job do you want? What have you been working toward? What do you envision a place where you would like to be. But that's not the only dimension. You cross that with, well, quite frankly, what are you prepared for? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you want a job in a quant program or in a data science program or in a clinical psychology program. Are you competitive for that? But then it gets into the rolling stones. Well, what do you want, but what do you need? You can't always get what you want drives my wife insane as I talk about the short con, the mid con, and the long con, (laughs) right, is we're in this for the long con. If you want something that you envision yourself for your career a decade down the road, well, if that's the long con, what do you need to be doing right now to help continue to set the stage for you to proceed? You try sometimes. And so, yes, you want an assistant professorship in whatever, or yes, you want to go to College Board or ETS or Facebook or Google. What do you need to do in the shorter term to make that long con happen? And so I think a lot of people just cut the corner and just take as given, I need a job. But think about what are these other dimensions that are driving the car Well, so many things that you said are triggers for me. I know that doesn't narrow it down. (laughs) I mean, obviously, it has to do with what your goals are, but your goals aren't necessarily academic positions, right? Sometimes an academic position is a long-term goal. Sometimes it's a short-term goal. Sometimes an industry position is a goal of yours. Sometimes a postdoc is a goal. In my world, uh, which is more toward education, postdoc is almost never on the table. Not never. But almost never. But in your world, a postdoc is very common, right? The short answer is, is they're very common, if not required. And so Mm -hmm. as our psychology ship continues to tack to the neurosciences, not only is it required, but people are doing multiple postdocs. I think in quantitative, it's less common because there are so many jobs where people are scrambling to put quantitatively oriented people into substantive departments, into data science-like initiatives. 
I think that is sometimes a detriment to our field because I think there are many, many positive aspects of a postdoc that, again, are part of the long con. They give you a couple of years to develop research ideas, to build your foundation of what you're doing. We have industry as a big draw for us, for people who are in our field. We have a pretty even split, I would say, between people who are on industry tracks and people who are on academic tracks. And when I say tracks, I want to be very careful here. I don't mean that we have a different curriculum per se. What I do mean is that people come into a program with a certain idea maybe of what they want to be. I really hope that while they're in our program, they will challenge that idea a little bit. They will wonder about the other things. So if they come in thinking that they want to be in academia, well, I want you to learn a lot about what the industry options are so you're not just choosing one thing. Same is true the other way. For me to do my job the best I can as a mentor, it really helps me when the student has a good sense of the direction they want to go. Because when a person is applying for me in their last year, maybe their last year and a half, they should already be functioning at the level of the job that they want. They should basically be doing industry type things. They should basically be doing academia type things because I want a seamless transition for these people. But you know what's really interesting that I've found over the last decade or so? It's less academia versus industry and more what kind of setting are you going to conduct your program of research? We've placed increasing numbers of students into air quotes industry Mm -hmm. where they're in full bore research positions. Right. Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, we put students in all of those, and they're developing novel quantitative methods. Mm -hmm. ETS, College Board, RAND, RTI, are those research, are those industry? When you wake up in the morning, how do you want to make your contributions, and what do you envision the context within which you're going to do that? The challenge now is it's such a bizarre time of, well, what is available? Mm -hmm. Your list of dating tips, which I continue to be concerned that you have those at your fingertips. (laughs) Give me another dating tip. Okay. Uh, Liking someone or being liked is more about compatibility than inherent worth. So this is about fit. That goes to trying to cross what do you need, what do you want with what are you prepared for. That Uh goodness of fit is hugely important here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start moving us into the academic space only because I think that's where we have the greatest amount of experience. If you want to talk about some other stuff, fine. I can edit that out later. (laughs) Job descriptions are often the work of many hands. What finally makes it into whatever places that you ultimately see it um, is some Frankenstein's monster of a job description. And you don't necessarily know what they consider to be the most important aspects of it or even the negotiable aspects of it. It might say, we want someone with expertise in multi-level modeling, but they might be very flexible in terms of what that means to them or have different interpretations about that. They might consider longitudinal modeling to be an absolutely acceptable version of that if that's where your expertise is. One of my Uncle Greg kinds of points is don't think you know exactly what they're looking for based on the job description. This really is like a speed dating kind of thing. You're looking at job ads, you're seeing, oh, all right, in two sentences, do I want to submit a application to this or not? I would probably, if you're going to make an error, is over apply. Let me decide. I agree. Whether I don't want to talk to you. Don't you take yourself out of the pool. That's right. You can't turn down a job you didn't apply for. Search committees see a whole lot of applicants, and depending on the rigidity of the position announcement, sometimes a particular candidate will change the way the search committee views the particular position. And I'll just make this as a general example. We are interested in someone with expertise in measurement, and we get someone in the pool who is an absolute rock star at longitudinal models or social network stuff. And our first reaction is, didn't you read the job description? But when you start to reflect on it, this person would be a really great complement to our program. 
don't sell yourself entirely short because they're the ones ultimately who decide on whether or not there's going to be a good fit. I always was looking for an add-on that I could go to the dean and say, here's the person who is perfect for this particular position that you authorized. But oh my gosh, we have the opportunity to hire this star. Yeah, I've mortgaged retirements. I've made the case that let's look at the horizon here and see what's happening. If we lock in this junior person now, and it'll also save some money in that particular line. And I personally have mortgaged the same future retirement three times. (laughs) Nicely played. I have, because I learned early on from a chair who hired me, which, by the way, my final offer was written on a cocktail napkin in a bar. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. His main philosophy of leadership is by the time this comes up, either there will be a different dean or the Mm -hmm. same dean will have forgotten. That's right. God bless institutional amnesia. Exactly. (laughs) One thing I tell all my students is don't overthink this. Oh my God, all of us are so capable of just getting into our head. And you start thinking about geography and you start thinking about Mm -hmm. distance from family and you start thinking about, is this where I want to retire? Depending on the position, you are making a decision that, in my opinion, other people out there may disagree, in my opinion, is 24 to 36 months. You are making a commitment for two to three years, and that's it. Don't think about where you're going to get tenured. Don't think about where you're going to go to full. Don't think about where would I buy 20 acres on a lake when I retire 36 months and just reevaluate. The times you are most movable are midway through your assistantship and midway Mm -hmm. through your associateship. That's when you're most movable. When you look at these jobs, when you think about your options, when you think about the long con, don't Mm -hmm. think beyond 36 months. So here's the other side of that. The analogy I sort of think about is that my dad was a company man. When he applied to work at Boeing back in 1957, he was going to work at Boeing until the day he died, right? It's a a different mentality now. People don't think about jobs in the same way, and that's absolutely fine. But the thing that I do want to say about that is go into a position actually giving it a chance. There are places geographically where you think, yeah, I don't really think of myself as living there. There are positions that you only think you understand from the outside. For example, you might think of yourself as a research one type of person. There might be a very good position at a research two institution, And when you're there, you might find that it's a very good balance of things that you need, or they're extremely good colleagues, or there's an extremely good work-life balance. I want to caution people about thinking they know everything about a position or what it's like to be there. You say to prepare about things in these 36-month intervals. I think that is a very reasonable piece of advice. But I also think you shouldn't go into a position with the expectation that you are always having one eye open. And I completely agree. You don't want to go into a place where you don't want to hang anything on the walls because you're just going to be leaving anyway. Right. (laughs) Right? That's horrible. That's a horrible (laughs) strategy. And I'm not saying that at all. My main point is... Is, is don't look at a job ad and think about retirement. Yeah. All right. Let's push past looking from the outside and start thinking about the crafting of your materials that you're going to send because I have a lot of thoughts about the actual application process itself. Are they all drawn from your dating website? <laughs> well, all right. Let me take a look at what it says here. Well, point number four is be honest. All right, go. That's the whole point? Well, no, there's more to it, but okay. it, that's the that's the gist of it. I never would have gone on a date if I had been honest. Come on. I think the subtext of this is that when you've populated your Tinder profile, don't say that you're <laughs> that you're 31 years old, don't say that you're a part-time physical trainer, don't say <laughs> that you've done some light modeling. Could you talk a little uh, slower? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Light modeling. Yeah, but the materials you submit are a portrayal of yourself, right? I hammer with my students. Oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say it. Be honest. Is present Mm -hmm. yourself for who you are, what your skills are, what you desire. The motivation on my part for that recommendation from the guy in the yellow shirt 
is just the obvious, is they need to know who they're getting, and you can't put yourself in a position where they want someone or anticipate someone who is different from you. Mm -hmm. This is all about goodness of fit. When they get the pool of applications and they're going to identify a dozen people who they see as prepared and promising for the position, and at that point, then it becomes goodness of fit. If I'm on the other side of the table as the chair of a search committee, I also want to know, are we going to be able to offer you a culture and a place and an intellectual home where you can flourish and thrive and be successful? Because Mm -hmm. if I get the person with 25 first author pubs and a $5 million RO1 that they're looking to start and I hire them because of that, but it's a bad fit, I'm going to lose you. And I'm going to have to do this all over again. You're interviewing a place as a home for you as much as they're looking at who's the ideal person for us. I think about when actors are auditioning for particular parts and the idea is I could play taller, I could play shorter, I could play older, I could play younger. Don't do that here. I guess I could teach intro psych. If you don't want to teach intro psych and the job clearly says teaching intro psych, then don't put yourself in that position. You really have to be careful about being honest, certainly for their sake, but also for your own sake, because you just don't want to put yourself in a situation where you are spending all your time trying to be the person that they were looking for when you have no interest in being that person in the end. And I think the more important part of what you said is it's not in your best interest because you're going to put yourself in a position that you don't want to be. I have taught intro psych and Mm -hmm. yes, it's fun and yes, it's interesting, but oh my God. God, the textbook is like 800 pages long. (laughs) If they're looking for somebody to teach a 300-person section in this, and that's not either what you're prepared to do or Mm -hmm. what you want to do, then that's a poor fit. Going back to my favorite book that's come up before, but Straight Man by Richard Mm -hmm. Russo, which is about academia, and that is a quantitude assignment as everybody has to read Straight Man. There's a wonderful line in there that's repeated where the main character says, well, that's not who I am, but I can play the role. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, don't do that. So when the application comes out, it will say some very specific things, right? Send us this, send us this, send us mm. this. Do you have any thoughts about that actual process? I am not in a position where I can offer any recommendations at all about the Netflix type of job. Totally. It's foreign to us, right? It'd be fun to try to loop somebody in. Is I've got a buddy of mine who works at Google. Is maybe we could even talk to him because it's so, so different. <laughs> Your eight-stage interview. <laughs> And he told me a story as it was the hardest interview he had ever done because at one point they gave him a blank sheet of paper and told him to write R code to do Mm -hmm. a particular thing. So what we're talking here is the more academic-like job. Now, it's not just assistant professorship. There are research scientists in medical centers, and there are the interstitial, it's not Google or Facebook, but things like RAND or RTI or ETS or College Board or all Mm -hmm. of these things. That said, the usual package is some brief cover letter, a CV, a research statement, a teaching statement, what I'm seeing this year that I haven't seen before, a diversity statement, mm-hmm. and three letters of recommendation. That's the typical packet. With regard to the CV, I will tell you something that drives me crazy, and that is when people send sloppy CVs. Uh. I might be a bit more on the spectrum than you with regard to these <laughs> kinds of matters, But I tell you, if someone is applying for a position and they can't even put their pubs in APA format, I'm like, what the heck? Or they have random punctuation and all of that. That drives me crazy. For me, it's like a first date, the old expression. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. I don't want the materials that come into me as someone who's running a search. I don't want them to be sloppy. I don't want them to be careless. I want them to be meticulous. I completely agree. I have two pet peeves with CVs. The first one is if you say that you're a principal investigator, please use the right principal. <laughs> I have seen on senior CVs, <laughs> mm-hmm. principal investigators, PLE, and it drives me 
insane. <laughs> the second one is if you get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee and go have your morning poop and have an idea for a paper, don't list it under in preparation. I hate where you have like 15 things listed, which is a really great idea you had during uh-huh. your morning poop. It does not get listed. So those are my, the guy in the yellow shirt recommendations. Wow. Use wow. the right principle and don't list an idea you had while pooping under in preparation. <laughs> okay. So wow. those are my two I have no idea what we were talking I about. Don't. No, here's the, <laughs> all right. Let me just take a moment. Okay. The other issue has to do with letters of recommendation. And sometimes the solicitation will ask for letters of recommendation. Sometimes it will just ask for the names of references. And I will usually just ask for names of people. And the reason is that I don't prefer to trouble people to write letters for a position when I will wind up doing a pretty big triage pass through the pile of folks. And and there are all those human hours that I think were wasted unnecessarily. So my question to you is, imagine that it says that. Imagine that it says name of references. Do you coach your person to say, send the letters anyway because you have letter writers lined up? Or would you heed the request only to provide the names Mm. of references? So there are two issues at hand for me. So what I thought you were going with that, Mm because I always try to guess where you're going with something because I get really bored and it just Uh keeps me engaged. (laughs) How do you pick the three names to begin with? Because I think there's a huge discussion around that. I'll answer the second part first and then go back to the first part second. I strongly recommend to my students to do what the ad describes. If they say list names, then list names. Don't send letters. If they wanted you to send letters, they would have said to send letters. For us, we have people send in letters because we don't control that. It's done at the level of the college and they have a portal. I don't lose much sleep over that because somebody has written a letter anyway. They send a letter, they change University of Maryland to University of North Carolina, or sometimes Mm. they don't. Uh is they say, Dr. Smith is ideally Uh suited to excel at the University of Maryland. And I'm like, well, thank you for pointing that out. I will forward this to Greg. (laughs) Yeah. I get very frustrated when people do things that move beyond what I've asked for or what is typical. Is Sometimes they get excited. Sometimes they want to try to set themselves out. I will recommend my students not to contact the chair of the search committee. Mm -hmm. I have some colleagues who say, well, contact the chair of the search committee and ask them what they're looking for in the position. And I'm like, oh, for the love of God, no. No, agreed. First, they don't want to be contacted. And second, what are you communicating? That you're going to craft your application with respect to what they're looking for? It should have no role at all. I agree with that. I completely agree about following the letter of the law, too. And what happens is we get so much extra crap thrown into the applications that, you know, we might get these very long statements of things that we didn't ask for. We might ask for three publications, but people will concatenate them into single PDFs and upload them and we'll get many, many more. On the one hand, yes, I'm really grateful that you think about these things and you have these experiences. On the other hand, for God's sake, don't get in our face so much. We kind of know what we're doing. We'll ask for things as we need them. Part of this is just a test of following directions and that might seem (laughs) right it might seem silly to people but i really want to know that you are respecting us and our process and aren't just sort of taking these matters into your own hands to me it's a two-way street too because it's fair to the other people who do follow the instructions so that again is what drives me crazy is that's right good point do you have a minute where we can talk on the phone Actually, no. We have a system that we're doing that is fair and equitable. Everybody gets the same opportunity. I'm not going to talk to you in person about this because we're not ready for that yet. And it's not fair to all the other people who didn't call. I think one of the really important aspects of this is who do you identify as your letter writers and how do you help them write their letter? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of students will say they're kind of a logical three people who can write a letter and they're going to very respectfully ask, will you write a letter on my behalf? Here's a spreadsheet of where it needs to go. Thank you very much. 
I will write back to the student and say, send me an updated CV. Send me a couple of sentences about how you're presenting yourself on the job market. And then you know what I ask? Send me a brief email that reminds me how we've interacted over the years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a little embarrassing to ask, but... I forget whose master's committees I was on. Mm -hmm. I forget who was in my SEM class. I have Mm -hmm. 40 people in my SEM class, and I've taught it twice since you've been in grad school. I don't remember if you were one of the 80 people. And so my main point is help the letter writer create a personal, thoughtful letter on your behalf by saying, I first met Julie when she enrolled in my SEM class in the fall of 2017. Give your letter writers this information so that they can have that level of detail. The trouble I have with everything you're saying is only that, why were you asked to write that letter in the first place? Why would you have been selected? Yeah, I get that too, where I have people with whom I have a somewhat distant relationship For whatever reason, they identified with me, my class, or whatever, or maybe I did serve on a committee. But I think the people who are writing letters should be people who know you deeply and who can comment on you. So the choice of letter writers, I think, is a very careful one. People who compliment each other in terms of what aspects of you they know. And to me, as someone who reviews these applications, the more distant a letter is, I remember having Julie in my intro to blah, 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 blah. That tells me you don't have someone else. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. So for me as a letter writer, there are a couple things I will say. I am writing my students' letters the whole time they're with me. So for the students whom I advise, and I even told one of my students this the other day, my job essentially as an advisor, as a mentor, is to, once I know your career goals, I know what your letter looks like when you're going to graduate. What I have to do throughout your experience here in our program is give you the experiences that make that letter true. And that might mean giving you teaching experiences so I can comment upon on your ability in the classroom. That might mean helping you find internship experiences so I can comment on your practical real-world knowledge. I am writing your letter all the time. And that letter is going to be rich with detail, rich with anecdotes. It will be tailored to you. It will not be a search and replace letter. So I hope the people who are being chosen to write letters are the people who have really taken the time to invest in you. That tells me something about both of you. I'm really glad you raised that because I started my little bit with the assumption that you've already identified those three people that are ideally Mm -hmm. suited. Mm -hmm. And I will spend an hour talking with a student to identify who those three people are. Why Mm -hmm. are you selecting them? And what aspect of yourself are they going to be able to knowledgeably comment on? I think far too few people... Yeah, is that right? Far too few? Not far too many. I think, yeah. I'm out of coffee are and you, I can't break. Are, it's like, geez. Are you quantitative? Do you st- it's, I, we have established early on that I'm bad with yeah. numbers and actually uh-huh. know very little about... Uh-huh. Qu- what, Maltese Falcon? I can tell you about that. <laughs> oh, dear God, no. Come closer. I'm going to tell you an astounding story. The story of the Maltese Falcon. If you're foolish enough to be listening to this, you have at least some quanti-like interest... A lot of students will say, well, I need a letter that comments on my quantitative skills. I took SEM from Dr. Hancock. I'll ask him for a letter. One thing you have to appreciate is I could only guess how many letters of recommendation I've read. I'm in my 24th year. Let's go with 5,000 letters. I have read one that was negative. Mm, One that somebody said, I feel very uncomfortable writing this, but I think I have an ethical responsibility to describe the student at hand. One out of Mm 5,000. The negative letters are the damning with false praise. Yeah. Right. One of the stilettos when you slip a shank between the (laughs) third and fourth ribs (laughs) in line when you're getting dinner. I looked up their record from my course grades and I saw they did very well in my class. That's like (gasps) in goes the blade between the ribs, right? Right. And for the record, leave the blade and walk away. For God's sake, don't take the blade with you. Realize when you're picking your letter writers, 
that a negative letter is one who can't drill into these anecdotes, who can't talk about what your motivations are, your passions are, about the work that you've done together. It is a kiss of death. If you say, Julie enrolled in my SEM class two years ago, and I remember her being an enthusiastic, engaged, and prompt student, right? I will quit (laughs) reading a letter as soon as, oh, this happens. I will quit reading a letter when somebody talks about how they're prompt. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, we're done here. You said something about letter writing earlier that really bugged me, and I was trying to decide if I should let it go or not. So I, I Why landed stop on now. <laughs> I landed on not. All right. So, so here I go between the third and fourth rib. Uh, <laughs> as a letter writer, you made a statement earlier on about uh, just go ahead and ask them for a letter, or just go ahead and have them send one anyway because they've already written the letter. I resent that as a letter writer because I spend hours crafting each letter. And even if I have written a letter for another job description, I come back and I recraft this letter. I don't recraft it and put in untruths. I tailor my letter to the position to which you are applying. And there are some things that I emphasize more, some things I emphasize less. So I do not just have a search and replace thing in the can. Sure, there are parts of it that can pour it over to the next letter. But letter writing for me is something I take so, so seriously because it's my job to help you close the deal. So I'm glad you got that off your chest. (laughs) And into yours. It's like a faculty meeting, right? Mm-hmm. As, uh, there, Peter is going to say that. Uh, now yeah. Jennifer's going to say that, right? It's all community dinner theater. Uh, uh-huh. Greg is going to say oh, that. There he is. And mm-hmm. now uh, Patrick is going to say something about in fairness to me. That's right. Which is the only thing that matters. Which is the only thing that matters because we have all agreed that this yes. is about me. Yes, me. All right. So remember, all of academia's community dinner theater. <laughs> I completely agree. In fairness to me, what I said is I didn't lose sleep over UNC requiring letters Mm -hmm. be submitted because a letter has been written already. I could not agree more that if there's the option of it's like, oh, just ask Hancock. He'll do a search and replace and it'll take him 30 seconds. It's not like he's doing anything anyway. Then I apologize for the shiv. Okay, which (laughs) was a friendly shiving. So as we started with the structure of how these materials look, the content of how these materials look vary by discipline, vary by the type of job that you're applying to, but a universal component is some form of a CV, uh, some set of letter writers, at least on my side of the street, maybe the most important part is the research statement. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drill into this in detail and content because I think it varies a lot by discipline. I think it varies a lot by what type of job that you're applying for. But mm-hmm. this is a couple of pages that lays out What is your program of research? That's the coin of the realm for us is programmatic. There's some arc that cuts through the work that you've done, that ties it together. What have you done? What are you doing? And then where is this taking you in your future work? Because people want to know, if I buy you, what am I going to get? One of the points that we raised in an earlier episode about this, and something that others might disagree with, I'm actually a big fan of coherence in a research program. Graduate school is a time to dabble, and yet I would like to see the dabblings start to coalesce. I would like to see there be some definition. If someone sends me a CV with projects in eight different areas that that don't really have a theme around. There's no there's no good circle you can draw around those things. That's bothersome to me. So what the research statement does for me is helps me to understand you as a researcher. I want to see you identify those themes and the trajectory for where you are going is really, really important to me. I don't need you to list out the five things you thought of while, while you were going to the bathroom, things that you might do. But I want to get a good sense of who you think you will be at the end of those 36 months or whatever, because I want to create an environment when you're here so that you can do that. That's exactly right. right. 
That is exactly right. I find there's sometimes there are things that it's easier to talk about what something shouldn't be than what it should be. So Mm -hmm. the old joke of how do you carve an elephant out of a block of wood? And it's simple. You just cut off anything that doesn't look like an elephant. Mm -hmm. And so in that spirit, (laughs) I have a couple of things I tell my students of what to try to avoid. One, a research statement is not an annotated CV. And Mm -hmm. then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. It's like, all right, I've got your CV. I don't need verbs in between your citations. I've got that. The second thing is it's not a coming-of-age story. I don't like the ones of, I have always dreamed of this, (laughs) and then I had this experience that led me to appreciate the... It's like, oh, okay, no, 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 no. This is not Oprah's Book Club. This is not House of Sand and Fog. This is like, you know, this is a research statement. And by the way, I've read House of Sand and Fog, and it's okay. good. And it was okay. on Oprah's Book Club. All right. Okay. It does not involve World War II. I get credit for that. Okay. I'm just saying this is not the place for that. Yeah. It is not a brag sheet, all right? Mm-hmm. Don't tell me how important your work is. I will make that decision myself. Mm-hmm. I don't like research statements that are say, this was a critical contribution because it yeah. made people say, okay, dude, all right, take a Midwestern <laughs> view on this, right? Is lay yourself out. Uh-huh. Have confidence in what you've done. You have value. You have worth. Let me decide if that was a critical contribution. Don't tell me that. Mm -hmm. And then the big one is... Don't stop with the present, right? If FedEx brings my box and I open it up and there's a shiny new PhD in there that I ordered and I'm so excited Mm -hmm. and I take it out and set it at a desk, what am I getting for my money? Think about a towering home run, right? This beautiful arc is as it leaves the bat and everybody turns and watches it. And as it goes over the fence, where's that going to go? Where's that trajectory going to go? The bat. There's a drive way back. Might be. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. And so leave off with taken together. I envision my next three years. That's what I like to see. And heavens, don't make it more than two or three pages. Yeah. My lips get tired when I'm reading. <laughs> so so what about the teaching statement then? Oh, for God, I hate teaching statements. I despise <laughs> teaching statements. Why? Uh-huh. What the hell else yeah. are you going to say? Sometime I want to apply for a position and submit a teaching statement that says, I am deeply committed to the art of pedagogy, teaching, and mentoring. My teaching is organized around principles of a student should only speak when spoken to. that I am the unambiguous expert in the room, that what I have to offer is only going to reach 10% of the students, and the (laughs) other 90% just don't realize that they shouldn't be there. I mean, what are you going to say other than you're committed and you want to do whatever it takes that all students benefit to the maximum that they're able to. I just, I, it drives me nuts. The things that I actually want to see when I read one of those is really more of an encapsulation of the experiences that you've had. And that's because some people will apply for academic positions. Maybe the most that they've actually done is they served as a grader for a right. you know, Psych 100 class. And what that tells me as someone who prepares students to go into academia is that I want to give them a whole bunch of different experiences while they're here so that they will have something to populate a teaching statement. But I'll tell you what I do like to read. I would like the student to reflect on their skill set in the context of the courses that we offer. Imagine I'm applying for a job at your institution and I say, I have looked through your course offerings for the last three years. And I noticed that these are some courses that have been offered. I I would like it if the student says, here are some areas where I would be especially interested in teaching, mm-hmm. uh, where I have the following experiences to inform teaching in those particular areas. I even think it's welcome if someone says, one area where I haven't seen training offered is mm-hmm. in, in the following area. 
and that happens to be an area in which I have some experiences of the following type. I like people pulling back and using the language of the program to which they're applying. I don't want them to oversell themselves. I really don't. And there's a certain delicacy to saying things like, and I want to teach the LSEM class, and I want to teach this because, you know, that might not be so well received on the other end for reasons you can't possibly fathom. But I'd like to see a person having done an investment in our curriculum, having thought about themselves in the context of that, because now as someone who evaluates their materials, that helps me see them here. I totally agree. My frustration with teaching statements is how they're often written, which is I empower students, I offer a safe environment, I believe in augmenting the instructional experience with technology. All of that is like, yeah, no shit, that's what we all do. <laughs> I agree with what you said. How could you contribute? You know what I like seeing is I like to see somebody explore how maybe they view teaching, not just in a classroom. How does mm -hmm. that, again, that arc, I love these arcs that I embrace teaching in all forms. I see classroom teaching, mentoring, advising, consulting, hallway conversations. Excellent. So I like seeing some narrative about that. I really like to see somebody talk about how is their teaching and research integrated. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I like that they use it as an opportunity to talk about research, about empiricism, about the scientific method. And I don't mean from a research method standpoint. Right. I mean, if you have a substantive area and you're going to teach about a substantive area, how do you weave in your program of research? How do you loop students into research through the classroom? And so I hate missed opportunities. Use it as an opportunity to pull in these other things, I think, is really important. A couple of things that I just want to really highlight, and that is that some of the things that we're talking about, even in the context of this teaching statement might apply more to someone who has been out for a couple of years and is thinking mm. about transitioning to another university because they have these kinds of experiences. They can talk more knowledgeably about the integration of their teaching and research, about how they used a seminar course that they taught both to get people involved in some of the research as well as to help them think about you know how they want to teach that. They will have more experience mentoring. So the things that we're talking about here aren't just for people who are coming out, because I don't want people to say, I don't have any of that. Was I supposed to do that? Am I mm -hmm. supposed to have integrated my research into my teaching? So for some people out there, this will apply. For other people, mm -hmm. it won't. I like that you're thinking about it in terms of all the things that fall under the heading of teaching, the mentorship, for example. So much of the teaching that we do occurs outside of the classroom. And I think there's an increasing acknowledgement of that on the part of universities. But think about that in the context of this particular statement. One thing that I do in anticipation of that as an advisor is that when I have students who are on academic career tracks, is that by the time they are maybe two years out from graduating, what I try to do is have them serve as mentors of some of our more junior students. So I have a mentorship structure in place where I am mentoring a more senior student in the mentoring of a more junior student. And mm. the three of us are involved in this particular relationship because I know that that person has to write a statement that will be a teaching statement, and that would be something that would inform it. And I know that I, as a letter writer, also want to be able to speak to the fact that this person even has mentorship experiences, and this is the structure of that. So I like how you opened up the teaching statement to be a lot more than, I believe children are the future. I believe the children are the future. And I like your point. For some people who are listening, you have an opportunity to gather those kinds of experiences in the yeah. upcoming years. So as you say, having a senior grad student work with more junior grad student, I will often try to have grad students work with undergrads where they yeah. supervise some research project. You could reach out to an advisor and volunteer to do a TA-like position for an mm -hmm. advanced class. And it doesn't mean that you're spending 15 hours a week grading, but I mean, yeah. say, hey, could I work with you on this class and I will do a once-a-week recitation for students and build those kinds of experiences. So be proactive. Think about yeah. if you're more junior and you're not applying in the next two weeks, but maybe next year or the year after that or the year after that, 
think about what can I be doing now in Mm -hmm. anticipation of writing a 500-word teaching statement where we establish that I can reach through the monitor and punch you in the face (laughs) if you say, while swirling your wine, well, all models are wrong, (laughs) is I reserve the right to reach through and punch you in the face if you say children are our future. (laughs) Mathematically, that has to hold. That just wouldn't have flowed as much in the song, though. I believe children are the future. It's a mathematical imperative. (laughs) (laughs) It was an early draft. (laughs) I got to tell you, I have to go to the bathroom, so we need to wrap up here. (laughs) Okay, so you're going to work on your research agenda. So I got another paper. Oh, my God. All right. So tell me, this episode title is Uncle Greg and the Guy in the Yellow Shirt. (laughs) What mildly inebriated Uncle Greg final points do you have to put a ribbon on this? Um, Well, it comes right back to the dating list. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it does. As it says here, your love life is one area of your life. Don't forget to nurture the rest. So, <laughs> well, it's it's true, right? So that the job that you're about to apply for, and that's what we're talking about here, is one aspect of things. You are looking for a match in terms of your life. And you're right. It's not for the rest of your life. But there's more to you than just what you were doing in that particular area. So try to think about quality of life issues. You're going to be doing this job for a long time. And it is, oh, my God. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I know. Just reach through the screen right now and punch me. I will add that to the list. (laughs) Yeah. It's a long list. Right now, I'm just talking to keep you from going to the bathroom. So I have... (laughs) Or maybe... I hope it's keeping you... (laughs) As he holds up a a soon-to-be full cup. The final Uncle Greg point is just remember, this is only a piece of you, and as you're applying for a job, try to keep in the back of your mind the whole you, and the whole you means sometimes you as a person, sometimes it means the family to whom you are attached, right? There's a lot that goes on in the background with the job process, and please keep all of you in mind. And the guy in the yellow shirt advice is, I'm going to go back to Oprah. You get a job. You get a job. You get a job. You get a I mean, my final points are kind of, I don't know, they're very Oprah-like, is have confidence Mm -hmm. in yourself and that Mm -hmm. this will work out in the end. This is a crazy-ass time to be alive. It's Mm -hmm. a panic-inducing time to be alive. It really does work out in the end. Have confidence that you're going to find something that you're a good fit for, that you're going to contribute to them. They're going to help you. It is a marathon. I agree with that. I remember I told you this story once, I think offline, but I had a martial arts instructor where we had to do a thousand kicks and he kept screaming at me, don't pace yourself. (laughs) And I literally engaged him in a conversation. Don't pace yourself? <laughs> well, sir, I mean, the reality, the reality, since is that I'm like, dude, geez, what a stupid piece of advice. Have confidence, have patience, and then this is a big one, and I mean this sincerely. Take a godfather-like view of this. Is this is not personal? Mm-hmm. This is business. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. If you don't get invited to interview, if you get an interview and you're not offered the position, this is business. You Mm -hmm. never know what happens on these committees, Mm -hmm. what they're looking for, a need they have to fill. There are just so many intangibles and unpredictable aspects. This is not personal. Absolutely agree with that. Okay, dude, I seriously have to go right now. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate your time. Good luck. Stay safe. Take a close out for me. Just go, just go, just go. Close out for me. All right. Please turn off your microphone, though. All right, everybody, take care from both of us, uh, and good luck out there. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you distract yourself while mowing your lawn, and please leave us a review. 
You can follow us on Twitter. We are at QuantitudePod. Or visit our website, QuantitudePod.org, to check out past episodes and other cool stuff. Finally, you can get Quantitude merch at Redbubble.com, where all proceeds go to donors choose to support remote access in low-income schools. You have been listening to Quantitude, fulfilling our civic duty by making you want to watch the presidential debates instead. Quantitude has been brought to you by the General Linear Model, which was the most general of all the linear models until you learned that it was actually a special case of the generalized linear model. Don't you just love our field? By robust standard errors. Is there anything they can't fix? I mean, seriously, I'd like to know. And by The Godfather, the only movie you ever need for quotes in academia. This is most definitely not NPR. All right, little fella. You can do this. But tell me the rules again. Starting with vertical strikes. No vertical elbow strikes. No direct kicks to the spine. No eye gouges. Got it. Got it. Good. Don't forget to cover up your own eyes, too. You never know if the other guy's playing by the same rules. Let's do this. Let's get it on. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh...